I bet y'all didn't know that John the Baptist was from East Texas. <laughs> when I saw that, I couldn't help but think, you know, that really does show off just a little bit what I really feel was the personality of John the Baptist. See, when John the Baptist came into the picture, he became a pretty big deal pretty quickly. And saying that, he had a lot of people that were following him. He got a lot of attention, but he was so humble. And he had every opportunity to take a claim to fame, but he always refused it because he recognized something. He recognized that Jesus plus anything was nothing. But Jesus plus nothing was everything. And so with that being said, we're going to look today to have a little bit of a lesson in subtraction. See, with Jesus, we should not add anything to it. We need to subtract ourselves, subtract anything and everything that gets in the way of the gospel. Now, do I have any coffee drinkers in here? Anybody? Now, listen, I said it in the first service and already got a little bit of heat, but do not put your hand up if you like sissy coffee. Now, what by that, I mean anything with cream and sugar, like that's just not coffee. Anytime that you're going to go and pay $15 at Starbucks for that mess, I just don't have time for that, okay? If you were to really be into coffee, really what we would call a coffee drinker, you are going to want that coffee black. Why? Because then you can really taste what? The coffee, okay? I'm just telling you, if you, I, I refuse to have a deacon in my church that drinks coffee with milk or cream. It's a test. It's part of my deacon qualifications. If you're going to be on staff and be a male figure, you just can't do it. I apologize, but just man up. See, other deal. Do, I, I'm sure we have some steak eaters in here, right? Do we have any steak eaters in here? Okay, listen. Hardcore steak eater. Now, I will eat any steak. I am not going to be picky. But let me tell you, I can count on one hand, less than five fingers, really, how many fantastic five-star steaks I've had. Now, we're not talking about five-star. I mean, going to one of those fancy restaurants, y'all, I went to one in uh, Dallas not too long ago. I think it was called Three Forks. And my goodness, we got a high-dollar steak. And, buddy, it rocked my world. Now, let me tell you something that's a difference between the Waffle House steak and the five-star steak. Okay, the Waffle House steak, yo, I'm not going to be like upset about a Waffle House steak. I will still eat that thing and be happy about it. But what's on the table at the Waffle House that's not on the table at the five-star? A1. Okay, you're not going to have A1 at the five star. And y'all, listen, I have no problem with A1. When I make steaks, we use A1 because I'm just not that good at it. I like the flavor of A1, but let me tell you this. When you have a good high dollar steak, I mean, have you ever tried that Kobe beef stuff? Oh my goodness. You do not disgrace a high caliber steak with A1 sauce. You just don't do it because it should always be all about the steak. You do not go to a high caliber restaurant and they put the steak in front of you and you say, hey, would the chef put a little bit of A1 on the side for me? That chef is going to want to have a meeting with you to call you a moron because you don't mess that up. But listen, as Christians and as churches and even preachers have often tried to add A1 to a five-star steak. 
Meaning, we try to add something to Jesus. We don't think that Jesus is enough. We think that in order to reach people, we need to present Jesus and something else in order to make the message go down better. Listen, I think Mary Poppins said it, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. But what ends up happening is this. I feel like churches, Christians, preachers have tried to add sugar to the gospel. We have stopped calling sin, sin. We have stopped preaching repentance. We have stopped proclaiming God's word. And rather, we just want to make things sound so sweet, so they go down so smooth. See, John the Baptist wasn't afraid to stand up, to stand firm, to proclaim truth. Listen, if John the Baptist were around today, I really hope that he would be friends with me because he's the kind of guy I want to hang out with. But he recognized this, Jesus plus anything is nothing. Jesus plus nothing is everything. He recognized that truth from the beginning. Now, I wanna just go ahead and throw this out to you guys. What's going on in this situation is John the Baptist is rising to fame. He has been preaching for about a year and he has got a whole lot of people interested in him. If we were to jump, instead of starting in John 1, can we jump a little bit to John 3 for a moment? John 3 25 through 30. And we see John having this moment where he can really claim fame. But let's see how he handles it. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. People aren't going to you anymore, John. 27. Jesus answered, or John answered, a person cannot receive any one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourself bear me witness of what I say. Stop right here. I love this. He's saying, I'm about to say something really important. I'm about to say something that is going to rock your world. And I want for you to witness what I'm about to say so that nobody can get it wrong. Do not let anybody change my words. Make sure that you hear every word I'm about to say verbatim. And he says this, I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, the best man, stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Do you hear those words? Verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is the heart, the life of John the Baptist summed up in just a few words. He must increase, I must decrease. So let's learn how to subtract looking at the life of John. See, he makes this great analogy. He says, listen, Jesus is the groom. I'm simply the best man. Now, I'm sure we've been to some weddings in here before, and I'm sure you've heard of some people called the bridezillas. I'm gonna put this in the female court just for a second. Now, listen, when you have a bride, you have a maid of honor. Now, what is the job of the maid of honor? To take care of, to do anything to help, to promote the bride. See, brides say this, hey, 
I will be selfless all the days of my life, but the day of my wedding is the one day where it can all be about me. Now, how would that work if the maid of honor decided to take all of the attention away from the bride? What if, without asking the bride, the maid of honor showed up wearing a white dress too? What about when the bride wanted to throw the bouquet, the maid of honor took it from her and threw it for her? What about if the maid of honor made sure that she was the one to cut the cake instead of the bride? Listen, I know we got a lot of sweet ladies up in here, but some of y'all would be busting a cap in that maid of honor. (laughs) Hear me. Y'all wouldn't play games with that. But see, here's what John is saying. The role of the maid of honor, the role of the best man in the wedding is to make sure that all eyes and all of the attention is on the bride and the groom. And anything and everything that they need, they will provide. That's how John saw himself. John viewed himself in that light, which made him such a great guy, even in the eyes of Jesus himself. According to Jesus, John was the best man to ever have been born. That's not Sean saying that. That is Jesus' words. He believed that John was the best man to ever have been born. Because of his attitude, because of his heart, because of his selflessness. See, John was this Baptist wilderness preacher. And believe me, this guy could draw a crowd like no other. See, in Matthew 3, 4, it says that John wore camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. This guy was intense. He had a rock for a culprit, for a rock for a pulpit, a river for a choir. He preached that sin was black and hell was hot, heaven was real, and that Jesus saves. And in the wilderness of Judea, John the Baptist started to deliver some good news. See, we recognize because of his parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, elderly, childless parents, that God was going to give them a son that was going to do some mighty things. In Luke 1, verse 13, but the angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. You should call him John. He will be a joy and a delight, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Now, it sounds like He's about to have the Messiah, but verse 15, for he will be a great sight in the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people, many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. Now, it sounds like once again, John's Jesus. It sounds like John's the Messiah going off of what the angel is saying, but then verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John was called from the beginning. His path was set before him to prepare the way for Jesus to make the path straight. Even when John was in his mother's womb, before he was ever born, he came in the presence of Jesus in Mary's womb. And we recognize that John started to turn and jump and leap 
for joy. He knew even in the womb when he was in the presence of the Savior because of the calling that God had on his life. He had such a following and such a resume. Six months before he's born, he's worshiping the Lord. He never wrote a book, but what this book says about him should stir our hearts. He was the favorite preacher of the Lord. Matthew eleven eleven. Verily I say to you, among them that are born of women, there has never been one greater than John the Baptist. He was a voice of repentance, redemption, righteousness, and retribution. And to saying that, what are three things that we can do, three things that we need to know in order to subtract ourselves, make less of ourselves and much of Jesus? The three things that John knew, he knew who Jesus was, he knew who he was, and he knew what his job was. Let's look at John 1, 19. And this is the testimony of John. And when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He says this consistently, 21. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He says, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answers, no. Now, this all would make sense to them because a couple of things, when they're asking, are you the prophet? Deuteronomy 18, 18 is what they're referencing. Because in Deuteronomy, what they're proclaiming is that there would be a prophet who had the word within him. And that's not who John is. See, that's talking about Jesus. But then they go, okay, you must be Elijah. Now, this also would make some sense. Because Elijah and John both had taken Nazarite vows, like Samson. So they wouldn't drink, but also they wouldn't cut their hair. So we believe John and Elijah had long hair that had never been cut. They were both rough outdoorsmen. Chances are they looked very similar. They had a similar spirit, so that would make sense. But also we notice in the book Malachi that Malachi prophesied that Elijah would come again before the coming of Christ. So they're thinking, okay, you must be Elijah because Elijah never died. He rose up in the chariot of fire. Remember this. And so they're thinking, maybe that's you. Now, if he would have claimed that, he would have by all means received so much respect. The Jewish leaders would have received him in because they were waiting for Elijah. But that's not who he was. It was so important that he chose to stay in his lane. I think all too often we can try to get out of our lane and get in somebody else's. I think all too often we want to stop doing our job and do the job of somebody else's. We want to stop doing what we've been called to do and do what somebody else has been called to do. And here's what happens. When you get out of your lane into somebody else's, you've left a hole in your spot and gotten in the way of someone else. I think all too often Christians do this. Verse 22. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah had said. And so now we see the purpose of John's ministry to prepare the way. He says, I am crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, Why in the world is he in the wilderness? Because if you want to cry out, if you want to make a scene, if you want to get people to notice you, if you want to be a street preacher that gets a whole lot of attention, wouldn't you go to a more crowded street? But he is in the wilderness. 
where he's not going to people. People are coming to him. Doesn't make sense. Now, when we think of the word wilderness, what we often think of is this lush, green, plush forest, but that's not what John experienced. When the scripture talks about wilderness, most of the time it's talking about a desert. So John is in the desert. Now, something significant about the place that he was, this is the very same place where Elijah ascended up to heaven in his chariot, but also make it make it even better. I don't believe that's why John chose to be there. What I really think John chose to be there was this is where the Israelites in Exodus crossed over the Jordan to walk into the promised land. But before God would part the water, he said this. He said, go ahead and collect 12 stones and place those stones as a memorial, as an altar as a place to recognize what I've done for you, how I've led you through the wilderness for 40 years, all 12 tribes of Israel, and brought you into the promised land. Remember and always recognize my promises. Now, many scholars believe that John was in visual distance of those stones, with some scholars even saying that he was standing on top of them as he preached. Judging by the personality of John, I don't think that that is far fetched. He wanted the people to get that God had made promises to them that he has fulfilled. He is the God that always fulfills his promises. And they were waiting for the coming Messiah. And he's saying, just like God promised that he would get our people to the promised land, he has promised a Messiah and it is coming. Jesus is coming. We need to get ready. And so as he's saying this in verse 24, let's jump there. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah the prophet. So basically they're asking, where's your power? Where's your authority to do this? Verse 26, John answered them. I baptize them with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. See, John, John has this moment where he's able to proclaim that Jesus is coming. Now, here's what they don't realize. John had already met Jesus six weeks previously. See, six weeks before this, John had baptized Jesus in the Jordan. And now John is in the wilderness and people are coming and flocking to John. And John has every opportunity to claim to be Elijah. And he says no. Claim to be the prophet. He claims no. He claims to be, he has opportunities to claim to be Jesus himself. And if he would have claimed to be Jesus, they would have started to treat him as such. I think that John had every opportunity to steal attention from the Lord. Every opportunity, I think just like John had the opportunity to lead people to Jesus, I think John also had an opportunity to mislead people from Jesus. I think that John could have totally changed the game. I think that John could have claimed to be the Savior and he could have jumped on a donkey and ridden into Jerusalem and people would have thrown down coats for him because he had that sort of a following. But John recognized what his job was. He was called to prepare the way. See, back in the day, when a king would go on a journey, the king would send a group of men ahead of him to prepare the way. See, roads were treacherous. Roads weren't great. They're often a lot, whole lot like I-20. And um, what ended up happening 
would be because there would be issues in the roads or be major potholes or trees would fall down. They would send a group of men a few days ahead of time. And these men would clear the road, make sure the path would work for the king and his chariot and his wagon and his horses to go through without any hiccups. So John is saying, that's my job. I'm the groomsman. I'm the one that's just going to make sure that the path is straight. I just want to make sure that people's hearts are ready, that people are repenting, that people are getting ready for the Lord. He says, I don't baptize like the Lord will baptize. I baptize with water. All John is proclaiming is repentance. Hey, will you baptize yourself proclaiming that you are going to do everything within your power to repent of your sins and to be ready for when the Savior's coming because he's near? Will you purify your heart to be ready to receive the Savior because he's coming soon? And a funny thing about baptisms I was learning this week. See, baptisms at the time weren't an uncommon thing. The Jewish people had something similar. They had these baths they called mikvahs. And they would go into these baths for purification and they would walk in and they would then bend their knees and baptize, if you will, themselves, completely immerse themselves as a sign of purification and then get out of the water. And so with John doing these baptisms, chances are is that he actually wasn't touching anybody. He was standing there and his preaching was causing people to want to purify themselves, purify their hearts, repent of their sins, and to be ready for the Messiah to come. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I've said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, the skeptic would go, ooh, that doesn't work. Oh, that doesn't work because John is six months older than Jesus. But this is totally a plug of Jesus' deity. John's saying, hey, Jesus always has been. Jesus always will be. Jesus is eternal. Yes, I'm six months older, but he ranks ahead of me and is timeless. Verse 31, I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So this is John telling the story himself of baptizing Jesus. Verse 32, and John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remained. This is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John is proclaiming this moment where all of a sudden he knew that the Lord was the Savior, that Jesus was the Messiah. Let's look for a second at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 to see this story happen one more time of the baptism of Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending, keyword, like a dove and coming to rest on him. So the Holy Spirit coming to rest on Jesus like a dove. Now, if any of you guys grew up in church, you might be like me where you picture like a literal dove. I think I even preached before years ago that a literal dove would sit on Jesus to represent the Holy Spirit. That's not exactly what it's saying. 
see something that they couldn't really describe with words. They're just trying to say it was like a dove. They really didn't know what it was, but the Holy Spirit took on some sort of a form similar to that of a dove and rested on Jesus. In verse 17, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, could you imagine that for John the Baptist? Could you imagine he sees Jesus and he already starts to wonder because he recognized Jesus in the first place in the mother's womb. And now all of a sudden Jesus is coming. He's probably already heard about him. Could you imagine doing that, how awkward that baptism would be? I baptize you in the name of the Father, the you, and the Holy Spirit. Like, I would just feel awkward. John is standing there and Jesus is baptized, comes out, and then he audibly hears from the Lord. He visibly sees signs and he recognizes that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And that brought John so much joy because he had been waiting, he had been working, he had been laboring. And then John starts to do something amazing. John was preparing the way and then John got out of the way. We don't hear a whole lot about John after Jesus really hit the scene because John didn't want anything to be about John. John recognized that his job was to make much of Jesus and not to make much of himself. People are coming to John constantly going, hey, nobody's coming and hanging out with you anymore. All of your followers are now getting baptized by him. All of your followers are spending time with him. You're like Twitter count is decreasing. You don't have as many friends on Facebook. Everybody's proclaiming him now. And John's going, and that's exactly what the mission of my life has been. If all I can do is reflect the Savior, and as people look at me, point them to Jesus, then I'm accomplishing the goal that was set before me. John was such an international success. But when Jesus came into the picture, he said, Jesus, I've got him stirred up a little bit. You take it from here. And he gets out of the way. Talk about humility. See, when we think about this concept of trying to decrease so Jesus can increase, there's three things we need to know. The first thing we need to know is who Jesus is, who Jesus was. John knew who Jesus was. See, I think what ends up happening is we spend so much time, and we don't even realize it, trying to become experts at presenting ourselves. See, every morning we wake up, and what's the first thing we do? We start the process of working so that we can present ourselves well. We do our hair. Ladies, we do our makeup. Men, we put on deodorant sometimes. We make sure that we put on our clothes, and we make sure that our clothes are going to be acceptable to those around us and impress those we want to impress. We learn to talk in a way that people will be impressed with. We learn to carry ourselves with confidence so people will be impressed with, so we will be received well. We care so much about how we present ourselves. Are we putting any effort towards how we present Jesus to others? Think about this for a moment. We have become experts at marketing ourselves. We spend so much time, so much effort learning how to market ourselves, so much money trying to figure out how to become better at marketing ourselves, selling ourselves, making sure that people accept us so well. Can I challenge you? Can we make sure that we are studying and becoming experts in how to present Jesus more than to present us. 
Listen, at the end of our lives, I hope that Jesus is more famous than we are. I hope that more people will talk about Jesus than me because of how I've lived my life. Listen, when we look at John, the reason why he was able to live this way was first of all, because he knew who Jesus was. When we study scripture and we see who Jesus was, we realize how big he is and how much he does for us and what he wants for us. I think that it starts to help us to put things into perspective. Jesus is something for everyone and everything for everyone. Can I read for you guys something I read this week? To the architect, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. To the artist, he is the altogether lovely one. To the astronomer, he is the bright and morning star. To the baker, he is a living bread. To the banker, he is the priceless possession. To the biologist, he is the creator. To the carpenter, he is the master builder. And to the diplomat, he is the prince of peace. To the doctor, he is the great physician. And to the educator, he is the sum of all truth. To the electrician, he is the light of the world. To the farmer, he is the lord of the harvest. To the florist, he is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he is the rock of ages. To the jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. To the judge, he is the advocate with the father. To the philosopher, he is the wisdom of God. To the plumber, he is the living water. To the publisher, he is good tidings of great joy. To the sculptor, he is the living stone. To the sinner and to John, he is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. When John recognized who Jesus was, and hear me, this is huge, leads us to point two. It helped him to recognize who he was. I think often it's important to recognize who Jesus is because it teaches us about who we are. Verse 21, they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. See, it's important to know who we are, but can I also say this? It's really important to know who we are not. I think all too often Christians are trying to be something that they aren't, trying to be something that you were not created to be. And when you will accept who you are in Christ, you will live so much more of a productive, joyful life. Listen, Jesus Christ is in control. You are not. Jesus is the authority. You are not. Jesus is the wise one. You are not. Quit claiming and quit trying and quit trying to present yourself as something that you were never called to be. You know what we were called to be? Absolutely dependent on Jesus. And when we present it that way and we proclaim that we really are nothing without our Savior, we start to present ourselves in a way that makes people stop looking at us and start looking at Jesus. When we stop promoting ourselves, but start giving Jesus all of the glory for any success that we might have is when we start to live like John lived. He knew who he was, but more importantly, he knew who he wasn't. We must decrease so he will increase. John was going to prepare the way for Jesus. He knew he wasn't Elijah. He knew he wasn't the prophet. He knew he was just John. He knew what his task was. He knew what it was, and he was going to complete it faithfully. What his job was. So he knew what he knew who Jesus was, he knew who John was, and he knew what his job was. I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way 
of the Lord. You want to know what, you want to know what John, John's job was? Prepare the way, proclaim the way, protect the way, promote the way, and get out of the way. Listen, we are good at a lot of those, but I often feel that churches, Christians, and preachers do not do that last statement very well. Get out of the way. Jesus shares the stage with nobody, with absolutely nobody. And John recognizes, he recognized that his job was to make much of Jesus, not to make much of John. He recognized what his task was, what his great work was, and he wouldn't go down to be tempted by anything else. I'm reminded of a story about Billy Graham. See, Billy Graham for years had garnered this humongous following, making people's eyes clear to Jesus, pointing people on the path towards righteousness. He was similar to John the Baptist in our modern day. And what Billy Graham would do is he would often find himself sitting at fancy banquets, eating with very powerful people. And one time, actually, I don't say one time, numerous times he was asked if he would run for president of the United States. He had so many different men try to convince him. He received all of this backing and actually was reading over the past couple of days. Many political experts say that he most likely would have won if he would have ran. And he went home one day to Ruth Belgram. He said, Ruth, this is what I've been presented with. All of these people want me to run for president. What do you think? And Ruth was known to be a very sweet lady but according to Billy Graham, she got a little perturbed. And her words were this, Billy, God called you to make people know him. God called you to preach the gospel. Don't you dare stoop to be the president of the United States. Here's what I love. No matter what God has called you to do, that is your job. That's your great work. And don't you dare stoop to do anything else because no matter what that other thing is, that is beneath you because God has called you to do whatever it is God has called you to do. Own it, become an expert, love it, embrace it, and then get out of the way so God can get all of the glory. I think all too often we try to do things so that we can receive a little bit of the limelight. See, I heard a story once. People often want to stand in the spotlight, but the best Christians are the ones that want to be a spotlight. Just want to be the spotlight. They want to be the one that's not standing in the light, but illuminating, bringing people to the light, making sure that people can see Jesus so clearly by the way that they talk, by the way that they act, by the way that they love. Nobody ever pays attention to spotlights. Nobody ever comes in here and says, man, that is a beautiful light up there. You know what people do? People complain that the lights are too bright. People complain that the lights are too expensive. They never are appreciative of those lights, but here's what it is. We're called to be those lights. We're called to be the ones that illuminate Jesus so clearly that everyone can see him. That's what John did so well. He prepared the way and he got out of the way because he knew who Jesus was. He knew who he was and he recognized what his job was. Church, I pray we will all serve so humbly this next year. 
We've got a next school year coming. I know it's sneaking up on us fast and listen to me. We have such an opportunity to make much of Jesus, but we will not make much of Jesus if we try to make much of self. If we try to make much of others, make much of Jesus. Hear me, don't promote a preacher. Don't promote this church as much as you promote our savior. Can I tell you something? If Emmanuel Baptist Church ceased to exist, Jesus still would. But if Jesus ceased to exist, Emmanuel Baptist Church would go away that exact moment. Hear me. We always proclaim the Savior more than we proclaim the church. But listen, we want to do everything we can to help you and encourage you to make much of Jesus this year. Let's set high and lofty goals to make Jesus famous and diligently work and get out of the way so he gets all the glory. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your word today. God, I pray that we can make much of you, but at the same time, make less of ourselves. Lord, we know that you don't wanna share the stage with anybody and we are not worthy to be in the spotlight with you, but rather I pray that we will be the spotlight, giving you all of the attention, not doing anything for a thank you, but rather doing everything to see you made known. Lord, I lift up this opportunity for people to respond to you. God, I pray you will soften hearts. You will help people's feet to move, to make decisions that can have eternal impact. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Will you guys stand as we sing?